Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor, where those who think outside the box can create unique football bets from a combination of markets. Create your best bet with the innovative BetVictor Bet Builder. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Welcome back, my friends, to the podcast that never ends. Yes, this is the Blue Day podcast, and for Chelsea fans everywhere, every day is a blue day. I am your host, the creator, the man with a face for podcasting, Keith Lawrence, and joining me this week, he has returned, and he's still uncensored, it's Steve Wicks. Steve, how are you, buddy? I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. Um, a little bit of gasp from last night. I didn't expect <laughs> that, but... Uh... Just goes to show, a game is never won until that final whistle goes. But my God, talk about having victory snatched. No, what's it? Getting victory from the jaws of defeat. Real Madrid certainly know how to do that, don't they? They certainly did. And Mr Ancelotti, former Chelsea manager, was probably the most calmest person on on the touchline. He was he was unbelievable last night, just how calm he was and everyone was just going crazy. But it was... Superb game, and you know, listen, it's it's not a bad thing losing to the eventual European champions. You know, we've we've done it before. They will never happen, Keith. Liverpool will beat them. <laughs> so I tell you why, because I don't think defensively they're coped with Liverpool's front five, whoever front three, whatever the out of the five they choose. That Diaz, we talked about it before. What a sign in that boy. Tottenham must be absolutely devastated. Devastated. Because they had him in White Hart Lane and they lost him. Deary me. Well, that's not the first time that's happened with a player. But but in regards to this episode, we didn't want to sort of discuss too much about the current Chelsea because it'll either get me depressed or angry and... It'll either get you depressed or angry, Steve, talking about the current state of the ownership and players that are wanting to leave, and that's pretty much nearly the entire first 11 looking to leave, um, if you believe certain reports. But what we wanted to do today was go back in time a little bit, go back on the Blue Day podcast time machine, and a special episode today. So we're still going to talk about something that happened and when I mentioned this to you, Steve, you'd actually gasped. 45 years ago this month, oh, a young Chelsea side consisting of Steve Wicks were promoted from the second division 
under a young popular coach by the name of Eddie McCready. And certain players in that side included the likes of Ron Harris, Ray Wilkins and Peter Bonetti. We'll talk about certain individuals as well sort of on, over the course of today's episode. But Steve, if I can, could you sort of cast your mind back to the beginning of that season? So the summer of uh, uh, 76, excuse me, the start of pre-season. What was your expectations going in? And what, what if you remember, what was the conversations like between yourself or the team and Eddie involving the promotion campaign? Well, the year before, the youth team were basically promoted to the, the uh, reserve league. Um, and we won that at a canter. Um, and we were very happy as kids. We also went on to win the Mini World Cup. There's five of Chelsea boys in that team. Um, and we came back to Mitcham training ground. I'll never forget it. I went into the reserve dressing room to get my kit and change, and it wasn't there. And I said to Norman Meadows, Where, Med, where's our kit? And he said, You're in the first team dressing room. Um, and Eddie McCready walked in. And he said, right, this is my squad. And you're fighting for your places for the first game. And um, it was all basically the youth stroke um, reserve team. Um, And it was great. It was a great feeling that, hold a minute, we're in the first team squad. Um, There was also a very stern... um, discussion about the future of the club which basically stated if we didn't get promotion um, within two years um, the club would basically go bust and go into administration Uh, so on the bright side of things and the nice side of things there was a great atmosphere in terms of enthusiasm but there was that big black mark over the head which meant that you know We've got to do the business. But there was belief. You know, we'd known each other from the age of 12. Um, we'd come through everything together. Um, and there was a belief that we could do it. A real belief. And was it important for the young players that are coming through the first team to have the sort of iconic names that were part of that side, the likes of Bonetti and even John Dempsey to an extent as well, although he weren't playing as much at that point but he was still an integral part in helping you guys develop into the first team I think I think John Dempsey was a lovely a lovely man, he was a very good professional he, 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 by that time he was struggling with injuries he, he was really his, his body had been beaten up and he, he was struggling with injuries Peace Benetti was an absolute rock in that dressing room. He was, as I said, I was asked to go to his memorial service by his family. And uh, um, my reply was, it would be my honour and pleasure. Because that man, to me, was 
not only a legend on the field, but he's a legend off the field. Uh, and he was so good in that environment in terms of putting his arm around you if you had a bit of an off day or putting your arm around you, telling you he believed in you and you can get a better appraisal than that. Um, and just an absolute tremendous man. And I'm very proud to to say to people that he was my teammate and a friend. Hmm. And then when you look at sort of, again, names, teammates back in the day, but now iconic names, one player, and we'll probably talk about him more than once on this show today, but Ray Wilkins, yeah. you know, what kind of guy, for those that maybe have not seen him live or only know him through being the coach at Chelsea in certain uh, stints. What kind of a player was he and what kind of a sort of a teammate was he to you? Um, well, Ray and I went through, as I said, we won the, the mini World Cup together. Um, he was, I knew Ray from the age of, I think it was 13. Um, every, he was courted by every football club in the country. Um, uh, and it was a good job for, for Chelsea's sake that his mum and dad had integrity because he was offered everything to go anywhere. Right. Uh, he was a leader. He was our leader. He was captain of Chelsea at 18. Um, the most gifted, talented footballer I'd ever seen. Uh, uh, well, there were two of them. There were two, you know, sometimes... What happened at Chelsea, and it was a lot to do with Ken Chiletta, was we signed probably the best two England schoolboys that have been for a long, long time. That was Ray Wilkins and John Sparrow. John Sparrow, and, yes. Yeah, and if you add Tommy Langley to that as well, because he was in the England schoolboy team, we signed three of the best England schoolboys that, that, that were on the pitch. And Johnny Sparrow was up there with Ray. He was courted by everybody. But again, they believed in the Chelsea way. You know, lots of players had got to the first team through the youth system at Chelsea. Um, and I think I played, before you signed your apprentice professional, I think I played about 50 games for Chelsea and we never lost one game. And there was a belief in that team that, why would you leave this? And that's what I think. And as I said, with a the captain of the ship, your, your, your Ken Chiletto, who did such a great job and everyone absolutely adored as a, as a coach. That environment suited everybody and it would take an awful lot. And there were, you know, Ray had to turn down or his mum and dad had to turn down a lot of money. A lot of money. And, uh, you know, I, I'll tell you a little story. I played for Berkshire against Middlesex and Middlesex hadn't lost a game for three years and we beat them we had a good side Berkshire and we beat them I think it was 2-1 and Leeds United their chief scout was a guy called Wally Mel and he thought I had a very good game anyway he got my address and everything and he found out where I lived and the week of the cup final there's a knock on my front door 
And my dad answered the door. And his voice went funny. He went, oh, my God. So I said, what? And it was Don Reavy and Wally Mel. And they were in London because of the FA Cup. And Don Reavy turned up at our house. And he offered me an apprenticeship and a professional contract at Leeds United. Now, that was me. If it was Ray Wilkins, he'd have Sir Alex Ferguson coming down. He'd have everyone. Everyone wanted him. But that Chelsea thing, you didn't, you know, you didn't want to leave. It was special. Was it special that, in your eyes, because of how they helped you become a professional footballer and the the fact that, as it was, you know, Chelsea did still have, despite being in the second division, they were still had that little swagger about them. They still well, had that sort of Chelsea yeah. thing. Did, well, when, did that when, play a part? Well, when we signed Keith, um, it was the year Chelsea won the European Cup Winners' Cup final. So when we signed, Chelsea were doing really well. I think they finished fourth in the league. They won the FA Cup the year before. They won the European Cup Winners' Cup, beat Real Madrid. Um, and that's when we signed. That year was when we signed. And everything at Chelsea was absolutely flying. And then the decision was made to build the East End. Um, and as I understand it, they didn't put dates where the stand had to be finished. And what in, in the contracts, which is nor, normal, but the, unfortunately for the chairman, um, he didn't do that. And it overran 18 months. And they had to pay all the wages, everything for that. And that put Chelsea in huge financial debt. So when we all signed, Chelsea were an established team that were beginning to challenge the Leeds United and the Manchester United. No, actually, Man United were struggling. Um, Leeds United were dictating. And we there's been some epic games, as we know, from the 1970 FA Cup final to, you know, the, did we not beat them 5-1 once? Um, it was in the league one year, yeah. 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 Um, and we were, we were getting there and the, we'd signed for the club on a massive high. Dave Sexton was manager. He was a very well-respected manager. Um, the likes of Ozzy, Huddy, Hutch, you know, they had a great side. They signed Keith Weller that year. Um, he was fantastic at Millwall. Um, and it, it was like the club. It had the... Chelsea was special. It was like... Um, it was like being on a film set, you know, that it was the social club of the, of, of the country. The King's Road, the uh, in actors and actresses, you know, it was nothing to walk through there and see Jane Seymour and Richard Attenborough and, and uh, Judy Christie and Michael Crawford and, you know, and Starsky and Hutch from a very popular TV show in America turned up at Sanford Priest, Raquel Welsh. You know, it was almost like it was incredible. And then, as I said, it, it hit a massive financial wall. Um, and it was on the verge of going bust and going into administration, which would have meant relegation. And maybe they were talking about going to the third division, as it was, if things weren't met. So we had a two-year deadline 
um, to get Chelsea back into the into the first division. In the first year, I think we finished about uh, eighth. For the second year, we all knew we were ready. We all knew because the the the, the first year they went up, they still had a lot of older players, and they hadn't gone that thing where they say right. We knew we are going to bat the youth of this club. It, that only happened halfway, midway through the season. And then all of a sudden, everyone was being thrown in. But we knew with a good pre-season, with everyone being together, we'd have a real chance of getting promotion. And we felt that. And you could feel the, you know, the, um, you could feel that belief building as the pre-season went on. And we had a, went to Sweden, had a very good tour in Sweden. We beat everybody, including Melmo, who played in the, the um, uh, European Cup, as it was then. Um, and things were looking really good. And we started off with a 1-0 win at Orient, I think. Yeah, that's right. 1-0 win against Leighton Orient. It was, and, uh, looking and, at uh, me notes, it, Steve uh, Apiniston. Yeah. Scored and the it started to build from there, really. Well, I was just looking at the results on the when I did my research, and it seemed as if Chelsea were flying at that point. You know, you beat Orient away, you've got a couple of good wins against Carlisle and Plymouth and Bolton. You go, you go away to Blackpool and win one nil. You then yeah. play Cardiff, you win two one, and there's a nice little balance of sort of goal scorers. You know, Steve Finiston's finding his feet; he's getting on the goal sheet the score sheet on a regular basis and you've got a couple of goals in there by Kenny Swain. Yeah. Kenny Swain we had on the podcast uh, last year, Steve. What was he like as a player to play with at Chelsea? Well, I think he came from Wickham Wanderers. I think they were born from High Wickham. Um, and he was an absolute gem of a signing. He was He fitted in as a person, as a human being, he fitted in fantastic. He he was very, very technically gifted, quick, um, and very dedicated. And he just fitted in absolutely. I think Dario Gardi was behind that signing, to be fair. Um, and he was just an absolute dream to play with. He'd work hard. He had everything. You know, I always go back. If there's one game I remember was when we played Tottenham when Ardelius and Villa made their hat their debuts and I think Kenny scored twice that day. Um and he was he was brilliant. Brilliant. Brilliant signing. And him and Steve Finiston up front were a real handful. And I'm I remember sort of in recently when ITV four have been showing the big match with sort of past Chelsea games and you sort of see the atmosphere Sort of with like the you know, young Chelsea supporters and not many people wearing like Chelsea retro shirts like they do now, you know, like with the, like, this season's kit. But what was the atmosphere like at Stamford Bridge around that time? Because again, the the, the ground's completely different to what it is now, and mm. sort of looking at again how Chelsea were as a club. What were the gates like? You know, what would the, what was the atmosphere? Was there sort of a, again? You talked about it at the start about the expectations of the squad. 
did you feel that obviously rubbed off on the play on the supporters as well that they felt yeah. it was a team well, capable of winning the league? Well, we we were. It's funny because we were like there was a, a girls' magazine called Jackie, and we were voted the best looking team in the league. <laughs> and um, there was a very very big female support. They, the the young girls, you know. God, you had Gary Stanley, who was to me he was the first David Beckham. You know, if someone got older Stanners, then then he had everything. Um, he still like, has the hair to this day, oh, which I cannot believe. <laughs> you know, you had Ray Wilkins, who was a good-looking lad. You you had lots of good-looking boys, so it almost became like a. Uh, I don't know. It was it was funny because girls were everywhere. <laughs> girls were. You know, at the games, they were. It, it became a sort of a cult following, and the whole club wanted us to do well. I think that's the thing. I think Chelsea appreciate youth team players coming into the first team, and they always have done. And I think the support of the Chelsea fans during that time was absolutely vital. And um, you know, we, you know, there was a game to give you some idea. There was a game where. We were doing really well and we played Wolves at home. And I think Wolves went 2-0 up. And they were challenging us. We were top. They were second. And they went 2-0 up. And all I can remember is the atmosphere and the crowd getting behind us, turn that game round. I think we ended up drawing 2-2. Was this the same season? Yeah. It was 3-3. 3-3. That's, yeah. yeah, and we... 2-0 down and it was like and I think they scored to make it we got back to 2-2 and they scored to make it 3-2 and we still came back but what I remember in that game we hadn't won the game but my god the crowd's appreciation of the effort we put in was unbelievable I've just got the goal scorers Ray Wilkins Ian Britton and Steve Finiston yeah to make the to make the scoreline 3-3 yeah and it was it was the most and you felt that togetherness there because they dragged us from the from the jaws of defeat. They dragged us out of it and got behind us. And my God, when we scored to make it, I think two one, the the atmosphere was unbelievable. Um, and it was it was a brilliant day. In the end, although we looked, you know, in those days it was two points for a win, one for a draw, but it seemed like a victory. And. You know, we're talking about the atmosphere and sort of the crowd supporting the team. You know, over thirty six thousand for that game against Wolves, and yeah. that was in December. And if yeah. I remember rightly, I remember seeing the highlights of it. The pitch was pretty much rock hard. It yeah. must have probably been a horrible, cold, proper December British day. Yeah, it but was. you still had over thirty six thousand there. Yeah, the, the the support was was unbelievable. Um, and this is what makes me laugh when people say Chelsea were a small club. Where, how, where has Chelsea ever been a small club? You know, the, the support is up there with anyone. Um, and I remember when we played Southampton, and I had the honour of marking God in his heaven. And that was the most bizarre thing I've ever ever done in my life. You know, I had to mark Peter Osgood. Mm. Um, and he was God, and it was 
it was an incredible experience. And uh, yeah, there, there were some moments that I, as an ex-Chelsea footballer, will cherish from that season. Um, and nothing more than the final game of the season when Chelsea were on a supporters' ban, and we looked up and the whole of the whole end, I think it's the whole end at, at Wolves. All of a sudden, got their scarves out, and it was blue and white, and they were Chelsea fans that had gone up to and bought their tickets, and travelled up to Wolves in midweek, bought their tickets, and went to the game. And we'll it was unbelievable. I was just going to say, Steve, we'll we'll mention about that game sort of late later on. But one particular game I wanted to sort of bring up was around the Christmas period again, sort of twenty seventh of December, two 0 against arch rivals, Fulham. 55,000 yep. at Stamford Bridge for for that for that game. And you look at, ironically, Bobby Campbell was the manager of the opposition at that time. Yeah. It's funny how you think about it from that point. But I'm just looking at that team. Mickey Droy as well was the, was another sort of a stalwart centre-half. Yep. What was he like as a teammate? And have you got any yeah. good stories about Mickey? Joy, Joy was great. You know, at the end of the day, he was great. He, he, you know, what happened is, I, I believe it or not, we played. Tell me if I'm wrong. You got the fixtures there. I think we played Hull the week before. Am I? That's was correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I was wearing new boots, and I got a really bad blister. On, on and what happened? The blister infected. Got infected. Um, I got sepsis through, um, and after the whole game, I woke up against Hull in the morning and felt absolutely dreadful. Um, and Eddie said to me, "Do you want to? Are you sure you're right to play?" I said, "Look, I want to play." Um, and I think we beat them three nil at Hull. Is that right? I'm looking at it now. No, it was one all. What a hole? At Hull, yeah. So oh, was it one? 18th of December, 1976. Anyway, on the way home after the game, I'm starting to sweat and uh, hallucinations in the thing. I thought sharks were swimming up the bus. I remember feeling so ill, I didn't know what. And I got rushed, Norman Medhurst rushed me to Charing Cross Hospital after the game. Um, and the infection had gone through my whole system. And I was in hospital for four days. And uh, I went to watch the, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it as long as I live. Um, went to watch the game. And this is how fickle some, some, and we were top of the league. And Droysey scored, I think, against Fulham. Am I right, Keith? I'm just having a look now, Chelsea Fulham. Yeah, that's right. Mickey Droy did score, yeah. And I was on crutches. I was feeling like shit. Mickey scored a goal, and this guy turned around to me and said, huh, you ain't going to get back in the team, are you, Wixie? And I thought, oh, thanks. That's all I want to hear. Uh, you know, so some supporters can be a little bit fickle, but, uh, yeah, I think we lost at Millwall 3-0, and I think Eddie changed the team back to the, to the old formation, I think. Um, but it was, it was, it was... Yeah, there were some great, you know, Fulham had Bestie playing and Marshy and all those people and yeah, it was it was a it was a great win that was a very good win and a very needed win as well. 
Well, I was going to say because at that period around Christmas time, there was sort of three three draws in a row: Southampton, Wolves, and Hull. Big win against Fulham, spanked against Luton two days later, four nil, and yeah. then get your sort of own back in a way by beating Hereford five one. Hereford yeah. in the second division wouldn't get that net now these days. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that that was our iffy time. That that spell, and you always go through those spells. But that was we we couldn't win a game, although we dominated games. It was bizarre. And although we dominated games, we couldn't. It was unbelievable. It was almost like someone was had this spell on us where we couldn't, you know, win a game. Um, and it put pressure. And we were kids, and it was it was the first time in our careers really that we had that problem. Um, but again, and the other thing was as well in that time, which was a very hard physical time. All you found were teams wanted to kick you off the pitch. They got stuck into us big time, and we had to, you know, learn the hard way. But we did. We learned the hard way. Did you see that as an an intimidation factor from those players to sort of try and get them in your heads and sort of try and get you off your game a little bit? Did you sort of see that sort of as you progressed through? the years as, as, as a footballer, and then you, you saw that later on. Do you think that that particular side of the game has gone completely, or do you think that there's still something still there that you know is is still used in today's environment? No, not at all. You, to be fair, some of the tackles that Ray, for example, had to endure, because that, that's the one person they went for. You know, Ray Wilkins, they absolutely went for him. What he had to go through, players wouldn't be on the pitch now. They wouldn't be on some of the tackles that that, that used to, you know, he wouldn't be on the pitch. Uh, they'd have been sent off. Um, they intimidated, you know, there were elbows flying around, there was punches, there was, you know, you go down and you, you they'd like step on your hand and kick you and, it was real intimidation, especially away from home. Not so much at Stamford Bridge, but away from home. Yeah, they they were bullied. Um, but but we dealt we dealt with that and we learned by that. You know, again, what we tried to do was then play the football to beat them, and we the majority of times we did that. We we outplayed them. And sort of talking about. Eddie, sort of just for a second in detail, what was he like as a coach? How am I going to put my words right? In regards to like being more sort of thoughtful in the training ground and sort of type of training and sort of looking at the opposition more. What what type of coach was Eddie? Um, Eddie was um, he was a passionate coach. He was. Um, Tactically, I think that was left to Ron Stewart. I think Ron did all the tactics and organised most of the training. Eddie was the was the man that motivated um, and had this great way of making you believe in yourself. Right. Um, and he was a great man. Like that. you know, he'd say things like, "Oh, Ray Lewington is the new Billy Bremner." Um, you know. He said once that I'll be playing for England in t- inside two years, you know. Uh, but outside, everyone said, "Cough." But inside, you believed it. Um, 
the what he had was a right arm man, Ron Stewart, who was one of the a real gentleman and would be the one that you go to um, and speak tactics and things with. And Ron was a very, very important part of that whole setup. Probably more important than he's, he's giving credit for. But he was the calming influence. He was the, he'd seen it all before. Eddie was very, very passionate. Loved you. He was like, he was like working for Kojak. You know, he, he used to come in and say, you know, the, the catchphrase of a, of a TV show called Kojak was, who loves you, baby? He loves your baby, and he used to walk into the ground, the dressing room, and say, "Who loves your baby?" That's that's what. And he was he was like that, very passionate, uh, you know, very loyal. Um, and if he believed in you, that was it. And one player that was quite influential that season, but many people sort of don't talk about enough when when I've spoken to supporters who remembered that era was Ian Britton. Now yeah. a lot of people sort of remember him sort of as, as as a dynamic midfielder that can score goals and sort of partly break up play a little bit. For those that didn't see him play football, what kind of a player was he, Steve? He was um he'd never give the ball away. He was very neat and tidy. Wouldn't stop running. Wouldn't stop running, made some great forward runs and indeed scored some very important goals in that time. Yeah. You know, I, I remember the big, real big test that we had early on in that, that league was the uh, the game against Notts Forest away. Um, and it was our real big test. And we went up there and I think Martin O'Neill, I think, put them 1-0 up. I'm not sure. It might be. And I think Ian Britton scored the equaliser. And that was a massive result for us to go somewhere like Notts Forest and come out with a draw. And those were the games that the belief started to build. That's right. I'm just looking at it now. Yeah, Ian Britton scored in the 38th minute. Yeah. Got a good 1-1 draw. And that was a Nottingham Forest side that, forgive had me. People like McGovern, Gemmell. Well, I don't know if they're Gemmell, but they had they were very good. Peter Wiss, Frank front. Clark, John McGovern, yeah. Tony Woodcock, Viv Anderson, Ian Bowyer. Yeah, so, well, again, you know, looking at yeah. that era, that Forest side a couple of years sort of later would be European champions. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, you look at that sort of period to get, sort of, to compete with them and to beat them. Yeah. Looking well, back we, on it, yeah. Well, we we had a um, a real nitty gritty game with them later on in the season when um, we really needed to win because they were they were getting close to us and we we and I think they were, they went one nil up and there was a little bit of panic and there was a little bit of this and we and we ended up winning the game with two late goals. And I think Steve Finneson scored the winning goal. He might have got two that day. Um, but Steve Finneson scored the winning goal. And that was a massive result in, in the league to beat them 2-1, I think, at Stamford Bridge. It was 2-1, it, yeah. It was 2-1. It was massive. It was massive. A massive win. That, well, I was just going to sort of say, 
sort of before that game, there was a bit of a period where Chelsea didn't win. Um, the, their form sort of declined a little bit. Yeah. And there was no wins in five from yeah. the, the middle of February to the beginning of March. Was there a point, that period where, from the dressing room, that there could be a possibility that Chelsea might fall off and not get promoted? Was there a little bit of yeah. doubt and worry within that? Yeah, there was. I'd be lying if I said no, we all took it off. But yeah, a little bit, and that's what happened. You see, it's a little bit like Leeds when they came up to the, the Premier League. The one thing you can do with youth you can you can encourage them, you can do it. But to get real consistency is very hard. Very, very hard. And an, an example of that was we beat Liverpool 4-2 in the FA Cup third round and then went away to Coventry and got beaten 3-1 or 4-1. That, that was the, the thing. That, and what we had to do very quickly was get together. And we did that because we knew each other so well. We we looked after each other, um, and if anyone was having a, a hard time, the other boys would help him and help each other, and say things like, "You know what? I believe you. you'll be back here, but look, I believe in you, and everyone in the dressing room, you know, believes in you." And you had that unbelievable togetherness. And what was quite, we hadn't experienced adversity. We sort of come through a very, very, you know, I had more medals in that time than, you know, the combination, Southern Junior, Fudlick Cup, all the things that, that we won as, as players at Chelsea. Um, so a little bit of doubt crept in, yeah, but that team spirit and that togetherness helped us through it. And it was unbelievable because we played that game against Notts Forest Everything you, you could feel the tension in the in the crowd before the game, and the tension was unbelievable. And the tension in the dressing room, not a lot of things were said. It was just people concentrating on the jobs they had to do, concentrating on on you know this is a massive massive game this, um, and we pulled it off after going one nil down in the face of adversity. We we ended up winning the game two one, which was massive for us, massive game. And that was it. I think the, 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 after that game, I think we, we turned things around and went on a good run. Um, and it ended, you know, it, um, it was a turning point. Was that the period then that you felt personally and some of your teammates felt after the Forest win that that's it? We're pretty much near, near enough there? Well, we'd never do that because you wouldn't do that. In, in those days, you never quite knew what was around the corner. Right. Uh, and that league was a very hard league. Um, and what what that did was, up until the Notts Forest game, you heard a couple of players saying, I feel knackered, I feel tired. I feel... And it's state of mind. But what I think that win did was, was kickstart everybody's state of mind and, and clicked us back onto the path. Of, of getting promotion. It was a real important game. As I said, to be 1-0 down. And what time... Do you, have you got the times of the goals? What time did we equalise? <laughs> I have, funny enough, yes. What um, time did we equalise? 63rd minute. And then Steve 
scored the winner in the 87th minute. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, the game was drifting away from us. Um, and we pulled it back. And not only did we pull it back, we, we actually went on to win. And that was, that was psychologically a massive, massive game for us. And I think then the belief started to come back. Well, it was funny enough because after that Forest win, you then drew to Oldham and then lost to Burnley, both both away games. Yeah. And then there was a huge game against Sheffield United, which you spanked them 4-0. Yeah. And then it was sort of a case where you just needed a point for promotion. Yeah. One thing I did want to sort of talk about was sort of like the influences in the dressing room at that point. Who would you say was the biggest sort of influencer, biggest leader in that in that team? Was it sort of like one person specifically, or was there like a group of them? That the other person we haven't mentioned yet, who to me was was um, you know people tell me about hard men. And there's hard men and there's hard men. There's hard men that are bullies. That when they're 60, 40 in favour, they go, they do someone. They're, they're injured someone. They go over the top or they, you know, soon as that. Um, but we haven't mentioned him yet, but he was so pivotal in the whole thing with David Hay. David Hay was a massive influencer in that team. He was absolutely massive. Just being there, being part of it, just an incredible teammate who would run through a brick brick wall for you. Was he quite vocal? He didn't have to be. He led by example. But when he said something, my God, it, it, it stayed with the boys. And he was, I think, the most respected. Him, along with Pete Vanetti, were the most respected players in that squad. Interesting. If you know, when you talk about sort of players, and again, people talk about that particular team. They talk about Wilkins and Harris, but when you talk about players that many people don't know, and some of them don't sort of actually remember, when you talk about some people like David Hay, and there was one sort of another player that I wanted to sort of talk about was a Gary Locke. Oh, Locky, you know what? Some Chelsea supporters who I've spoken to, they still remember Gary and they've still said that, you know, he should have played for England, he was good enough and he should have played at a higher level. What was he like as a as a fellow defender? The unluckiest Chelsea player never to ever play for England. He was, he had everything. He was a very good defender. He got forward, he had a great cross, quick and consistent and he was a great player and a lovely lad a lovely lad um, uh, and well just an absolute class act um, and I think that you know Lockie to be fair um, could have signed for other teams people were after him but he was very Chelsea orientated and wanted to stay at Chelsea. Um, and his best mate was Ian Britton. And they were very close. Um, but it wouldn't have entered his head to have left Chelsea. Right. He was a very, very 
you know, important part of that team. And then one sort of particular key player in that side as well that we haven't, we briefly touched upon him, but because of his looks rather than his playing ability, was uh, Gary Stanley. And, <laughs> now, I've, I've heard some interesting stories about Gary from certain people that will be kept nameless uh, for the benefit of the show. But was he the t- was he the same character on the pitch as he was off it? Yeah, he had a little bit of um, something about him. He was um, he had belief in himself, and um, he had a little bit of stuff. He had a great shot. He's a foot. He had the most unbelievable uh, shooting ability. Um, but he was just that. He was different to what we had. And the one thing we had in that team, which teams couldn't cope with, was pace. Right. And our build-up build was very quick. Um, and some of the football, you forget the lovely football we play. When you watch some of the videos, which Bloody George has got loads of videos, the way we attacked with pace was unbelievable. Teams couldn't, couldn't cope with it. Hmm. And there was no bigger exponent than teams not being able to cope with our pace than when we played Liverpool a year later in the third round of the FA Cup. They couldn't cope with our pace and how quickly we attacked. I think that's what helped us in terms of the, the crowd got behind us because they enjoyed the way we played football. I think they enjoyed so. the style of play. Um, and the other guy that we must never forget within that team was Ray Lewington. Ray Lewington, yep. Because he was, he did the nasty things fantastic. He did the work and allowed Ray and Sanners and everyone to play. Everyone says, he's a Chelsea guy, the, the, the holding midfield player, uh, 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 at And there's a role in football now called the Makaleli role. That's but right. Ray did that. Ray did that unbelievably and had allowed the likes of Stanners and the likes of Ray Wilkins to, to express themselves because he did the donkey work and he never quite got the praise he deserved. Every footballer that played with him loved him because if you were going into war and you wanted someone by your side, you choose Ray Lou every time. Interesting you say that. I spoke to a couple of people about players of that squad and Ray's name came up and they said that even when he was playing, he they knew that he had that sort of ability to be a coach. And you look, yeah. again, you look at his career, I mean, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And the fact that he, many people don't seem to sort of know this, but he did start his career with, the, with Chelsea. Do you know what he... Um... The one thing about him, vocally, he was the one that used to shout and shout and help with his he, vocally. He was very important. He, he was the, he was the mouthpiece of our team, mm. and that enabled Ray and, as I said, Stanners and Swaney and everyone to express themselves. He was their insurance policy. See, every team has their one. Every every yeah. team has one. Yeah. Mind you, I have to say, I think Mr. Tuchel needs to take note about how to attack with pace. 
But well, um... <laughs> no, I, I think the one, the, the two things that we we lack is pace and creativity. I think those are the two things. I think mm. we, well, I think we become a little bit predictable. Well, we were. <laughs> I promise Daniel. I won't talk about Chelsea today because it it'll give me mm. the ump. I want to talk about the Wolves game? You've, you mentioned it. We're approaching the anniversary of it, and ironically, Saturday the seventh of May, we're playing Wolves. How yeah. how how weird is that? But yeah. Saturday the seventh of May, nineteen seventy seven, we go away to Wolves. The attendance I've got is over 33,000. How many of them do you think were Chelsea supporters? Bearing in mind the story that you've already said, and we've had other players say it on the show before, that Chelsea fans weren't meant to be allowed at the ground. Well, I would say, I asked the steward, actually, I said, how many people get in that end? I said, what fills that end? And the, that Chelsea thing was absolutely full. And he said 6,000. Right. Um, and bearing in mind we were banned, that's a bloody good show, isn't it? That's not bad. That's not a bad uh, turnout. And all I can remember is going home in the coach with the blue and white scarves and everyone going mental in their cars, going down the M1 back home, uh, M6 back home. Everyone was going absolutely mad in their cars. It was, it was, it was, the sad thing was we scored first, I think. I think Tommy Langley scored. That's right. Langley scored an early goal that game. And we were all over them. When we went 1-0 up, we should have made it 2 or 3. And we missed glorious chances. And they never really had a shot. And then they... I'm trying to think who scored. Who scored for them? John Richards. Yeah. Yeah. He scored a worldie. From nowhere. And it knocked us a little bit because we knew we should have won that game. And what what minute was that? The 79th minute. Yeah. And we were gutted. We were absolutely gutted. And then we realised that, that, you know, we needed a point to get promotion. And they just backed off and let us have the ball. Because they were scared. We'd actually caused them so many problems in that game that they were quite happy with a draw. Yeah. Um, and they just backed off and let us just have the ball. And we were passing the ball across the back. It was like watching a game today, you know, in today's football, where the back four, we just kept the ball. And, and Bobby Gould said to me, just keep it. I'm not going to close you down. Just, just, it's what we both need. Just, just let's get a one-all draw here. And they were happy with a one-all draw. It was bizarre. You know, I think we had something like 40 passes without them touching the ball in our own half. We got, the draw. we got the draw we needed. The Chelsea fans were absolutely, all they wanted was to get back to the first division. Um, and the scenes, you know, were just unbelievable. Because both teams were, were celebrating on that day. And it was just incredible atmosphere. What was said at the dressing room at the final whistle? Did Eddie say anything to the players or was it just... I just you said, know... you know what, boys? He said, you've been magnificent. He said, you have been absolutely magnificent and you've got us back where we belong. Um, and he said, 
the other thing is all your wives and girlfriends that are up here at the, can come back on the coach. We've got a massive party all organised. The chairman's organised a party. Um, and we're going to have a great night. Thanks for all your hard work and dedication. I remember it. He was, and he was nearly in tears as well. He was nearly in tears. Um, and it was a lovely time because, my God, we put some, we had to deal with so many things that we hadn't effectively experienced before. And we still had the balls, excuse my French, to actually see, see it out. Um, and it was quite nice. The true Chelsea on how we could play came out in the final two games of the season. Was it two games of the season? Yeah, Wolves was the second to last. And then we're Hull at home, which I, I want to talk about. And again, for those that perhaps have not seen it, find it on the ITV hub. I'm sure it might be on there. It's called the big match. 14th of May, 1977. Chelsea were at home to Hull. The reason why I mention it is because every time Chelsea scored, fans would just run onto the pitch. And this was without the stewards that you have now. And it was a lot easier to get onto the pitch back then as, it, as, as it's a bit hard now. And you had Eddie on the microphone asking the Chelsea supporters to stop going on the pitch. You had the police there to try and sort of corner off certain of the supporters. But you had kids going up to you know, the likes of yourself and Ron and Peter Benetti and Steve Finiston. What was that game like against Hull? It was bizarre. Was that, some, was that something you've never experienced before? And what well, what, what stories have you got for that game? Well, I, I just think we were we were totally relaxed. We we got promotion, and we played absolutely out of this world in that game. Um, I think we went two 0 up. I think the problem started when we went two 0 up, and the celebration started. And I think the real pitch invasion was the third goal, where so many thousands of people ran onto the pitch. It was unbelievable. Uh, it was like a tsunami of supporters. Wasn't uh, there talk that the game might be actually called off because yeah, of well, the... Yeah. yeah, well, what happened? When we scored the fourth, they did it again. <laughs> and the referee said, I'm telling you now, if it happens again, if it happens again, I'm calling the game off. So Eddie, they got Eddie to, to go on the mic and say to the supporters, look, we're winning this game. If you come on again, they're going to cancel it. It's going to be, the game's going to be postponed for another day. We, we, we're winning the game. Let's see this through and let's start looking forward to next season. Give this big speech. Um, and it worked. And, uh, and on purpose, we didn't score another goal. <laughs> I, I I asked that because I was told a little rumour, and I won't name the ex-player, but I was told that he, there was a, like a group sort of discussion amongst the players at the time on the field, and it was a joint decision to say, we won't score again, just in yeah, case. It was. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> it was. You know, and again, we, we I think we scored the fourth, I don't know, you got the minutes there. What time did we score the fourth goal? Uh, 88th, it was a penalty. Yeah, so, so we didn't have long to we didn't have long, so we just played it out. We just passed them. They couldn't get near us. We just passed it and passed it and passed it. We just <laughs> got the game over with. So it was um, that was 
to me, that was, you wanted to leave in the season on a high. And what was the crowd that day? 43,718. We're such a small club, aren't we? <laughs> you know, it was, it was unbelievable. The atmosphere and the, for me, having, you know, along with the lads, having put in so much effort and having to deal with so much, to see those smiling Chelsea fans and see the joy on their faces was, made it all and more worthwhile. It was an unbelievable day. Um, it was it was incredible, um, and it was lovely to sit in the dressing room and just say we've done it. Although we knew we'd done it, it was so important in all our minds. We said it in the dressing before to end it on a high and to win four 0 at home was a high, and the way we played was unbelievable that day. Uh, and it was just just a lovely, lovely feeling. Looking back on it now, sort of before we sort of start to wrap up the show, when you sort of look back on it and we've sort of discussed it in a little bit of detail, would you say that was the most, not the best time of your career? Because I'm sure there was other times where you would say it's probably helped you going forward. Would you say that was probably the most fun time that you had? Bearing in mind, yeah. as you say, you've come through the ranks. A lot of your teammates that you had when you was younger are now your teammates in the first team and you go away, you have sort of like the bonding sessions with your teammates and you pick up wins away from home. Would you say that particular season, because of the success that Chelsea gained from that, was the most fun time of your career? Yeah, I, I think I think what it did was we, we as young players, we had to grow up very, very quickly. There was, a, as I've mentioned before, the physicality and what team tried to do with us was just unbelievable. It was like GBH now. Um, and we got through that and we competed. Um, we had a few bumps in the road, which we dealt with. And we grew up. We went from boys to men very quickly. But when I think back on those times, I feel so sad about it because of the likes of Ray Wilkins, Ian Britton, Peter Bernetti, John Phillips, who aren't with us anymore. Uh, I look back and feel very sad that they're not here anymore because there's a very special bond as a footballer. It's like every Saturday at three o'clock you go into war and you look by the side of you. Um, and those boys were unbelievable warriors. And I look at it and I feel very sad that they're not here anymore. Can you believe it's 45 years this year? No, it's, um, it's unbelievable, really. You, you, I think when you live in such a, and have such a great life, um, and you're playing something you love, I think life goes past so quickly. So quickly. Um, um, and you look back and, and 
it was just wonderful times. Um, just wonderful. No, even Ray Wilton, he wasn't a superstar. He was one of the boys. The togetherness in that dressing room and the respect everyone had for each other was unbelievable. And it was that togetherness um, and friendship that got us through. And it was when you shook hands in that dressing room and you said, all the best, what you were saying was, I'm going to give it, I'm going out and I'm going to give 100% for you. And I know for a fact you'll give 100% for me. That was the moral honesty that we had in that, in that dressing room. And it was unbelievable. Well, Steve, I appreciate obviously talking about that promotional season. It's something that I wanted to obviously talk to you about. I know we discussed this before we sort of talk about the show in detail, but I think it's great that you're able to sort of tell us the stories and the the Blue Day podcast are going to try and sort of work something sort of quite nicely in correlation to this promotional campaign of a 76 and a 77. We are working on something very, very special. So stay tuned for that. But Steve, any last sort of thoughts and comments of that particular season and before we wrap up? It was just an honour to be part of it. It was an honour to be part of that team, part of that squad, um, and part of something very special, and to be part of something that got Chelsea back where they belong. Well, we thank everybody for joining us on this special episode today. And as promised, we aren't going to talk about the current day Chelsea. That's for reasons that we'll discuss probably next week when we uh, see Chelsea against Wolves and against Leeds. But we appreciate your listening to the Blue Day podcast this week. I've been Keith Lawrence. He's been Steve Wicks. Stay safe and carefree. Podcast Network. Let me give you a big Labor Day surprise. Most people think if we all exercise the same and eat the same, we'd all look the same. And let me tell you why that's wrong. Your body is unique and your metabolism is unique. I'm Lacey Green and I'm a super trainer at Body. That's B-O-D-I dot com. And you can't see me, but I don't look like your average personal trainer. I'm curvy and I'm proud of it. So I created a program for beginners only on the Body app to show people like us how to get incredible results and be our version of happy and healthy. This isn't just workout videos. Videos. It's people like you and me. It's community. It's incredible trainers. It's easy to follow nutrition and mindset experts to help you reduce stress and just feel better. And you can get started with my new program called For Beginners Only. Now, here's the big surprise. If you go to body.com right now, that's B-O-D-I.com, not only can you get everything Body has to offer at 50% off with an annual membership, you'll also get an additional 20% off, but only during Labor Day weekend. Let's do this together. Go to body.com. That's body with an I.com.